Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You listen to the coaches panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the coaches panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the coaches panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the coaches panel. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 most relevant. Gosh, we're a week away from wrapping up this series. I hope you've been enjoying the daily articles at coachespanel.tv. I hope you've been enjoying these daily podcasts. For the hat trick of days in a row, we've got Kane back to talk about Jake Lloyd. Hello, mate. How are you? Very well, MJ. Yeah, a guy that's just... How many years have he been in the 54? Must be closing in on five or six now. I think pretty much every... There are a few players that if I was to go back in time and look through... Uh, so, what, there's been about five years of the 50 most relevant that we've been doing. Uh, maybe maybe six or seven, actually, if I'm really honest with you. He's probably, along like a Zach Merritt, probably one of the most featured players in the 50, man. He's been that good for that long. Yeah, well, MJ, he's made us look smart every year because we say, you know what, he could improve. He could improve his average. And until this year, he did exactly that and just made us all look like geniuses, didn't he? He's been such a good player for so long, this Sydney Swans defender, still aged really in his prime and his peak at 28 years of age. Last year, still some nice ceiling from him out in Supercoach as well. It was a 154 uh, against the Gold Coast Suns, while it was a 119 against the Tigers in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. Career-high scores, though, you've got to go back to 2018 for him for those. Both are against the Dockers in the same game. It was a 163 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, and it was a 173 in Supercoach. You mentioned that kind of diversion away from the ever-increasing averages. He averaged 98 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. It's the first time since 2017 that he's averaged under 100 in that format, while in Supercoach, an average of 107.7. He's priced in an interesting spot for us across all of the formats. If you look at what he's been doing for you in AFL Fantasy, it's in that format. He's going to set you back $823,000. In Supercoach, just a touch over $586,000 and just under $810,000 in Dream Team. And Kane, every single year, it feels like people just pick Jake Lloyd. And even last year in a quote-unquote down year where he was the number one averaging defender in Supercoach in a down year, he still found a way to prove to be one of the best fantasy players in this division. Yeah, he's unbelievable, MJ. Again, because he's got, he's got the mix that you love from a fantasy player, especially one in salary cap and draft. He's, he stays on the park. And when he's on the park, he just puts out great scores. He puts out great scores pretty much every week. Maybe the one knock you could give on him is like you mentioned with the Lockie Whitfielders. If there's a 150 in your draft game and you need someone to chase it down, he can do it. Mm. That's probably the one thing that's not really a possibility with Jake. You know, that's sort of a once every two seasons, three seasons type of score for him. Um, but obviously on the flip side is how many 90 pluses, how many hundreds do you get from this guy? It's yeah. just Absolutely remarkable. We know the kick-ins is something that always helps these guys keep that floor nice and high. Um, but he's also just a really hard-working, really diligent, and just really precise. Doesn't he? Just doesn't waste the footy, does he? MJ. He makes good no. decisions. He doesn't 
he doesn't often bite off, you know, what Daniel Rich can do, where he can really, with one kick, you know, open up the game and create a Yeah, Lucky Whitfield the same, yep. Yeah, Caleb Daniel. Lucky does it with his legs, doesn't he? And Caleb does it with his with his kicking like Daniel Rich. But Lloyd is just really smart. And often what Jake does is he just finds these little pockets and it only needs to be a neat little twenty meter kick. That's right. But you've worked you've worked the ball into a nice space. So there's no surprise why he's always contending for the Swans best and fairest. He's always super highly regarded. And that's why he keeps this role year on year, because he does it beautifully. He yeah. absolutely kills it every year. He's been so good for so long. He, even last year in this quote down year, um, ranked seventh in the league for total kick uh, for kicks per game, ranked ninth for effective disposals per game. So uh, um, again, that speaks to just how good he is in terms of disposal percentage. Third in the in the sense of effective disposal, seventh for rebounds per game, sixteenth for disposal, seventeenth for meters game, and eleventh for bounces. So when he gets the ball. He uses the ball well. He doesn't take on too much. And previously, they have had Jordan Dawson around to take on that little bit more of an adventurous play. And we'll talk about the departure of Dawson in this episode soon enough. But if we break down what he did last year from a fantasy footy perspective, he averaged 98 last year in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. Um, You want to look at that in a totality. It was 12 tons, uh, nothing over 120, but also just the two scores dropping beneath 80 all year. And so while the ceiling may not have been there like it had been in prior seasons, that basement was just as strong. He ranked fifth for points and averages amongst all defenders last year in Dream Team and Fantasy. And his pre-buy and post-buy split, about a point the difference between each. He, he was sensational. While in Supercoach, his average last year, like I said, he was the top averaging player in our defensive line last year with a 107.7. He ranked third for total points of all defenders available. And that great average rolled through, like in Dream Team and Fantasy, post-buy and pre-buy, the splits are almost identical. 15 tons, though, last year. Three over 120, including a couple of monster 140 pluses, and just dipping the score beneath 80 once. These are just shadows of what he's done over the past couple of years. Between 2018 to 2020, he went 122, 108, and 112 in Supercoach from an average perspective. It was 101.6, 107, and a 91.4 in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team. And it's an adjusted 114 if you want to play those games. He's just been so good for so long. And he's only missed two games of footy since 2016. You just can't go wrong. Well, that's it, MJ. When you're building these squads, when you've got a guy that you know has the scoring potential to be a top player... You know he's going to be there every week, mm. and maybe based on his performances in past years, he might even have a little bit of upside in him. Yeah, I think that's why people just have so much confidence in Jake Lloyd starting in their teams. I think they just go, "Yep, I can put him in there, and that's one spot that I don't even have to worry about for the year." Now, the flip side of that can be when you've got someone so durable and someone who has such a consistent scoring deviation, that should become really easy to trade into because they're typically not going to get away from you and explode with a big ceiling game yeah. and really hurt you. So, you know, like you guys always talk about, if you've got a guy that's injury prone, start with them. Start it. And if the injury comes, it's one trade. Whereas yep. we know sometimes if you trade into those guys, 
the injury happens, and now all of a sudden it's a two-trade problem. The thing with Jake Lloyd is because he's going to be there every week, like a Jack Crisp, sometimes you can just wait. If there's someone else you really like in that defensive line and yep. you think there's more upside, or maybe, like we always say, maybe it's not even a defender. Maybe you've got a premium spot. Do you want them in the midfield? Do you want them in the forward line? Do you want two premium rucks? So I think you've got to balance it across your team. And the thing with Lloyd is you can always hold that spot for him and know, yep, he's a top six guy. Yep. He's not going to blow the roof off no. the joint. He's going to be just there every week. He's going to be you know, hovering around his hundred. Um, he's not going to really get away from me. And as you always say with the magic number, it's at its highest at the start. Mm. So if anything, you're probably going to pick him up for you know, his price. Yep. or maybe 50K cheaper. Um, and again, you trade into him knowing that he will be there for you every week. So I think he becomes a guy that really, he'll be in a lot of teams, won't he? Yes, he will. And he already is. is yeah. Over, yeah, and that's the thing. By the time the season gets to, say, post-buys, pretty much all the teams in contention that are, that are still playing the game yes. will have him in their team because he's just such a safe, reliable guy. Um, I think where it becomes interesting is how do you balance your premiums? Do you see more value in other players in other lines? Do you just think yeah. that, yep, I, I want it, this guy's a bit risky, but, you know, it's built into his price. You know, maybe he's priced at 80, 85, and he's got 105, 110 upside. I, I think I might go with that now as opposed to, you know, having a look. Oh, yep, he looks good. Trade in. Oh, there's that injury history I knew all about. So the thing with Lloyd is he just makes it super easy, super yep. easy to start super easy to move on yep. and bring into your side at any point because, yeah, I don't see the big price fluctuations like some of those big mids. I agree. You know, those big mids that can go 140, 140, and then all of a sudden you're in a bind. You start thinking, do I move now before the price movement? Yep. Do I, do I just hope it comes back down or, or can they just keep going? Lloyd's just that guy that just rocks solid. Yep. The price isn't going to move too much. Um, and he's just going to be there for you. He's just yeah. going to be a regular in your side, giving you good scores. Yeah, I, I look at him and it's almost potato, potato at that point, isn't it, with him of you can build the narrative of, yeah, he's still, he's just durable, he's consistent. There is some ceiling there. It did, it did clip away a little bit last year and there are multiple reasons for that. Um, But you could build the case of, yep, I'm going to start him for this. Or you could go, I'm going to go against him, but bring him in because of those things. I don't think either's the wrong approach. That's the beauty of him. But you're right. If you're looking at your team post round 15, round 16, and you feel like your back line's done, even with DPPs coming into all of the games, Jake Lloyd is one of only three defenders that I think across formats couldn't build a case for who we know right now to be the number one defender. The only others that I think have a chance are Aaron Hall and Lockie Whitfield. Whitfield, the only reason he won't is availability. That's the only reason he won't. Hall, availability, and a role adjustment in terms of how North Melbourne move the ball and structure up. So he's got a little more unknowns, but if those things go his way, he's far and above the number one defender. Lloyd is the safest guy of all of those three where you just go his ceiling is not far off him his basement is way better and i've got no concerns about the in-betweens yeah well that's exactly right it's just he's just a really comfortable you sleep well at night yeah you just you just feel good and honestly the funny thing is you probably sleep pretty well at night 
if you don't have him in the opening rounds too. That's yeah. what I mean. Like, if you just think there's better value elsewhere, make him one of your first upgrades. Make him an upgrade at any point in the season, and you're probably getting the guy that everyone else has already got. So I think he just he's just such an easy option. He's just consistent. No matter how you want to, no matter how you want to structure your site, it's yeah. just it just is pretty straightforward, honestly. I think what's interesting for people to go, okay, where could the upside come? Or where does the regression come? Because we did see that ceiling dip away. I think the elephant in the room is what happens with Jordan Dawson. Last year, there's around about 230, 240 kick-ins that the Sydney Swans had. 133 of them were to Jake Lloyd. Mm. 74 to Dawson. And then nobody got more than 20 beyond that. There, there's some weird ones in there, like Florent and McInerney got one. Rampy jagged a couple. Braden Campbell had a couple in the early handful of games, and then we know he was out injured for, for big chunks of the year beyond that. The question I think that coaches have, because I don't see, I think what we're paying for Lloyd is his basement. I, I cannot see him going under what he's done. When he gets the kick-ins, he still plays on. I think the worst he will be, is a high 90s defender in Dream Team and Fantasy and a 105 guy in Supercoach. That is the worst he can be. The best is you chuck another 5 to 10 points per game on there and you get what he did in 2020. What happens with those 74 kick-ins of Jordan Dawson? Now, they did dry up drastically as the year went on, as he went up to the wing. But as I said at the start, the scoring splits weren't that drastically different pre or post by so you can't go oh Dawson out he's gonna pop because Dawson really post by he didn't take many kick-ins I'm talking eight so he had the lion's share Lloyd did at the back half of the year and yet pre by post by split it's exactly the same 106 107 108 in supercoach 97 98 in dream team and fantasy so that's not where it's coming his scoring bump. It's got to be Sydney just go back to a little less aggressive game style with the ball movement and just hold possession just a fraction more. But if Braden Campbell comes into that side, I know a few are already seeing Campbell as the replacement um, for a Jordan Dawson. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's, it's, it is too simplistic to say, isn't it, MJ, that oh, Lloyd Dawson's gone, you know, big, big spike back up because... I think more than just Jordan Dawson. If you watch Sydney play at all, how good was their ball movement, MJ? Yeah, it was, it was electric. How, how quick? How quick was it? How aggressive was it? That's that's where those points go. Yes. You know, in the past, there would be a bit of possession, a bit of slow play, but they changed that game style and, and they flew up the ladder and they became one of the most impressive sides and. You know, they got some unfortunate injuries at a really nasty time of the season. You know, no Mills, no yeah. Kennedy, these type of guys, and they lost the final by a point. You yeah. know? So you think about some of those guys when they were playing their best footy. You know, it was young it was players yeah. early in the season that were on fire. You know, your Gordons, your Warners, you know, Campbell even. And then what happened? They were out of the side at different points for different reasons, whether yeah. it was injury or form or just general fatigue. Kids so, fatigued, yeah. Exactly. So imagine when these guys have a few pre-seasons under their belt and they can maintain this game style a bit more. I think that's where the days of, you know, 110 Lloyd, I think they are behind. I don't think it's quite the monopoly. I don't think it's, um, 
needs to be played that way. I don't think you're going to win games of footy. And that's, you know, if you know anything about the way Sydney, they're always, they're never out of finals for very long. They're always pushing for the flag. And if that's very where true. the game's going, that it's a bit more, well, you've got to score with Movement. the best yep. and you've got to be aggressive, you know, that's how they're going to play. You know, it's no surprise you hear about guys like Isaac Heaney finally making that midfield switch. Yeah. When you think about what some of the best midfields, like the Dogs, the Ds, Mm. Even the Bombers with some of their explosiveness from a Parish and a Stringer and, you know, the craftiness of a Merritt in there, you've got to be able to go with these guys. So when yeah. you hear about guys like Mills and Heaney, you know, Warner has a bit of that about him. We know Parker's an absolute bull. So yes. I think the game plan has moved. I know in years past we spoke about it with Doherty. That yep. massive season, what was the game plan? It was heavy kick mark. Yes. It was really slow ball movement. And Doherty was pretty much the guy, along with Kate Simpson, that got all of that. Yep. I think those days are gone. I think, like you said, it's a couple of points either side of what he's priced at. Yep. The floor is probably still a top six. Yeah, which is perfect. But, yeah, which, and the ceiling you know, is he could be D1. He could, he could knock out a Whitfield and a Hall purely by being on the field more than them. Yep. Oh, I think he's a, he's a ripping pick. I think every coach right now, if you said, do you want Jake Lloyd in your completed side, the answer is yes. The, the challenge is, do you start with him and bank the consistency or do you upgrade him? For me, I look at it and I go, he, if this is the worst he is at, I'm, ba- I'm going to maximize his availability by starting with him across the formats. That's how I choose to look at it. With someone that's got a ceiling just a fraction off the best, but his durability and basement is better than anybody in that line, I go, I'm going to maximize those two strengths and maybe hope I get a bit of luck with some ceiling uh, along the way. So for me, I'm starting Lloyd in every single format, but would not knock anybody that went, I'm just going to get him at round six or round eight or round 12. I'd be like, yeah, I get what and why because everybody approaches it with a different strategy. Drafts is interesting to me though, Kane. I feel like if you are going a defender early, it is one of the three of Lloyd, Whitfield, or Hall. I've done some mocks. Mm. Maybe you've gone on the mock draft simulator of our friends at the Draft Doctors and played around with a couple of different options. Ultimately, it always depends on what are the size of your league in terms of coaches amount, what are the kind of rules of players on field, because if you've only got four midfielders on field in contrast to seven midfielders on field, 16 oh, that's, that's coaches, eight. it changes that, yeah, everything. Because if it's only four midfielders on field, you're only picking the top 40 mids, you'll still get a 95, 90 yes. sort of yes. mid, as opposed to, well, the 40th best defender. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a great point because that is really, for me, that's the crux of drafting. I, I have to know what the pool is, you know, how many, how deep am I going? And, you know, that 10 point differential we've talked about on previous pods between, you know, if you've got a back in there at a hundred, well, you want to be getting 110 mid or you want to be getting 110 ruck because mm. that's how, when you, when you're going to, you know, 50 backs, 50 forwards, 70 mids, that's how it balances out. Yeah. But if it's a shallow league, if it's only, like you said, like some leagues are playing three backs, four mids, one ruck, three forwards. Well, that's where these top end guys in those lines really, really get valuable Definitely. because you don't, you don't see the, the drop away. The thing with Lloyd MJ for me is he's, you, you want to win your draft, right? That's yes. the whole, that's the whole seasonal or keeper. Play. That's the point. 
that's the whole point. So Whitfield and Hall give you a better chance at winning it than mine because they can absolutely tear the roof off the joint. Yes. Like both of those guys can go one. Their ceilings five. are as good as our, our midfield premiums, to be fair. Yeah, and they're in, they're in that line. So that's why for me, like, there's a lot of good mids. There's a lot of good mids that I think can go 110 plus. So if you think there's a mid that can go 110 plus, you take them before you take a Lloyd, in my opinion. Mm. Again, especially if you've got captains on. Yes. I just feel like Lloyd's this guy that he's really safe. You feel really comfortable. But is it a winning move? And I'm not saying you pick upside and you pick, you know, massive risk reward for every pick. But I feel at this point, you can maybe reach a little higher to someone that's just a little bit better. And by reach, I mean, Lloyd's probably still going to go in the first 25 picks. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? He's not, he's right. not going to fall. He's not going to fall. I'm not saying don't pick him. I'm just saying the way if I'm playing it and I've seen, you know, Aaron Hall have that role in the preseason, if I've heard Lockie Whitfield's moving well, like those are winning moves for mine. Whereas yeah. Lloyd feels like a guy that, yep, you've just... It's an anchor. It's a green. really yeah. safe anchor. Yeah, you're not, you're not, you're not probably not winning or losing at that point unless no. he obviously explodes. Uh, and maybe you, you look at what else is around and you don't like the risk elsewhere and you do take a Lloyd. But mm. yeah, I think he's in the top 25, MJ, but I don't know if he's much more. You know, in past he's been as high as the top three yes. with that positional scarcity. And he had, he had delivered those type of returns. But I just think this year, um, I just don't see it being a necessity to really go hard on him. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Look, he's a D1. I think he's a kind of a back end of the second round pick. Again, all the variables of how many coaches, how many defenders on field, that, that changes everything in your draft. So always make sure you know exactly where that is because it tells you where you should be aggressive, where you should try to create positional scarcity, and where the line drops away. Those are the key elements. For me, oh, I'm such a big fan of his. I, I think he's a ripping pick. To me, and the reason he's the highest defender, we have no more defenders in the 50 most relevant. The reason he's the highest defender is he's the most bulletproof option this year in our back line. Of all the options, he might not have the ceiling of others, but he's the most bulletproof. And that's what you need at some point in the year is a bulletproof premium. And that's why, for me, he's so high in the 50 most relevant. Hey, mate, I appreciate your work today on this episode. No problem, MJ. If you want to go and read the article on Lloyd or any of the other players revealed so far in the 50 most relevant, do make sure you go and check it out. There is plenty of stuff to dissect and to get your head around in 2022 for the preseason. Tomorrow, we head back to another fascinating line. Tomorrow, I think most people think he's the number one in his line. I don't think he is. But most do. I think if you don't start him, you got to pass on him. Who is he? You'll find out tomorrow in the 50 most relevant.